right, good morning, 845. Hey, I, I think you guys need to give yourselves a hand. You overcame daylight savings time. Come on now. Come on. Man, so good to know who the real Christians are around here. What is up? Good to see you guys. Man, so much going on around our church. So thankful. Uh, had a great night, Friday night, father-daughter ball. And uh, man, still do not have any people in our church with rhythm, but it's okay. It's all right. It's all right. You know, you just kind of have to just accept who you are. There were a couple of people here that knew how to cut some rug. And so uh, I've already invited them to join my interpretive dance team. It's going to be really powerful. You guys just stand by, stand by. It's going to be good. Uh, we have, uh, we had Adopt-A-Block yesterday, went into a community, had some awesome volunteers show up just to go love on some kids and some, some folks in, in a little bit difficult situations, circumstances. We got people getting dunked today, water baptisms happening after third service. We'll talk more about that. We are jumping into a new series in the book of Philippians. And so I want to just give you some context, a little bit of history around this book. The Apostle Paul wrote this. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, was formerly known as Saul, and he was a persecutor of the early church. And then uh, he had a vision of Jesus uh, that changed his life. He got radically saved, and then he became one of the greatest church planners and church ministers in the history of the church. And uh, so this book uh, was probably written between 60 and 62 AD and uh, the, the church of Philippi is who it is written to. And this is kind of a gateway city at that point between Europe and Asia. And it was like a little miniature Rome uh, with a, a large number of Roman citizens. This was a, a Roman uh, colony. And so the citizens of Philippi were also Roman citizens. Uh, he planted this church probably around 50 AD. It was on his second journey. Uh, his second trip, missionary trip. And uh, it was a very influential city. It was important to, to reach with the gospel because the gospel could spread very easily from this city. It was a wealthy city primarily because it had a lot of gold and silver nearby. And so as a result, the church in Philippi was a very generous church. And that was the reason why Paul was writing this letter because he wanted to just, it was really just meant as a thank you letter to the church in Philippi. And, uh, and so, but he also was gathering from people that were bringing support to him and bringing financial support to him. He was gathering that, hey, there were some issues also that were happening in the church. And so he also addressed some of those issues within this letter. Uh, but I think the most powerful thing about this, this letter, this book, is that Paul is writing it from prison. And this is actually one of three of Paul's letters. Paul wrote two-thirds of the book in the New Testament. Uh, this is one of the three letters that he wrote from prison, okay? And, and not, like, not like, a, like a nice prison, okay? The, the, this is a really, really rough location. And I, I love this because he, he turned this prison into a purpose. And in spite of being in prison, he didn't abandon his role in leadership over these churches, and he used this location of prison as a platform. He just said, well, I guess now since I can't go anywhere, I'll just start writing some letters to some of these churches and encouraging them. And he, so he models for us this incredible attitude towards adversity. And, and I think it's, it's so important for us as we read through these books to keep in context, like 
where he's writing from because I think he can help us. And it can help us understand, like in your life, you, you're either going to surrender to a greater cause or you're gonna surrender to your circumstances. And he just decided, I'm surrendered to the greater cause, I'm not surrendered to my circumstances. And so he's writing us from this, and I wanna jump right into chapter one, verse 27. It says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. Now that's, that's important, okay? If you, if you don't have that, if you don't have that in your heart and in your mind, then the rest of this is not gonna land. It's gonna be difficult for you to wrap your heart and mind around it. If, if you don't get that first part, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come to see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you're standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. So today really the subject is around Unity and having unity. Uh, anybody ever experienced what it's like living in a place where there's disunity? I mean, anybody in the house at all? Uh, I, I, know that, I, I know that most of your families, you don't have these issues. But in my family, I just want to let you know, like, my kids fight a lot. Sometimes I yell. I know, it's shocking. <laughs> Sometimes Cody and I don't agree on everything. But when it, comes to, when it comes to something that can very quickly try to rob my peace and rob my joy, when, when I hear and see fighting, and especially with my kids, it just gets under my skin quicker than anything. And I wind up finding myself saying things that I told myself I would never say. Things like, I will turn this vehicle around right now. <laughs> or don't make me pull this car over right now and discipline. Like those are things that my dad would say to us that I thought that's ridiculous. I would never say that to my kids and mean it. Like this is gonna happen potentially. And, or like, or, or, or just the bickering, like, he's on my side. He came onto my side. Oh, he's touching me. Oh, she's just that kind of stuff. I'll tell you, whew, I can get in my flesh so quick. And there is a voice that comes from me that, praise God, you have never heard in this room. <laughs> that, that just an indication of how much this can affect me. All of us have lived around situations where there's disunity. But can you imagine God looking down on the church and seeing his children fighting and having an attitude, attitude towards each other? Now, I know he doesn't respond the way that I do, but I do believe it breaks his heart. I do believe it's incredibly frustrating for him. I, I believe that he probably has some anger about it. Like, what are they, they know better. I've done everything so that they can live in unity. Think about how much uni unity helps your home. Like, look, when I, when I know, when I can, there's nothing better on the, the, the other side of it, there's nothing better when there's peace in your home. When your kids are getting along and treating each other with some civility it's just like, oh, 
you can hear angels kind of softly singing and you know, there's just, it's amazing. There's nothing like that. How much would unity help your workplace? How much would it help the church? Think about the peace that the body of Christ and the church could bring to every environment that it exists if there was unity. So what causes disunity? Well, it's some pretty obvious stuff. Differences. Differences. I think we have a really difficult time accepting others' differences. We don't accept each other for, for who we are. But the truth is we are different. You're different than your spouse. Spouses are different. If you're married, you've learned this. Like at, 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 at first you realize like it's a good thing, like opposites attract, right? But then after you get married, you start to learn that opposites attack, all right? And, and because, because you're different and you have to work through these differences because one of you is more hot and the other is cold. Who are the hot people in the room where you're just like, come on, I can only take off so many clothes before I get arrested, but you can always put on more clothes, okay? So the cold people, make the adjustment, please. Okay, don't put it on us. Some of us shop for things, other of us hunt for things. Come on, we know exactly what we're going to get. Some of us like to cuddle. Some of us are like porcupines. We're just like, just back off, give me some space. Some of us are spenders. Some of us are tightwads. Some of us are talkers. Some of us are more quiet. One of you is maybe more introverted while the other one's more extroverted. One of you loves physical intimacy and the other one is dumb. I'm preaching now, people. I'm trying to help you. The fact of the matter is we are different. We are different and you have to know this. If you are a believer and you have the hope of heaven, you are gonna spend eternity with people that are different than you. Eternity. And one of the things that I'm always aiming at is that this church looks like heaven. The Lord's Prayer, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His will is that there are gonna be a lot of different people together worshiping him in unity but we're different. But those differences cause disunity. It says in Romans 15, five, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that one mind and with one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. How many of y'all know you are different than Jesus? If you don't know that, may God have mercy on your soul because you probably don't have any friends either. But the truth is we're very different than Jesus and yet he still accepts us. Also dis disagreements. Sometimes it just happens. You have disagreements, something happens between you and someone else and and you just can't overcome it. 
and never gets resolved. But sometimes there's disagreements and you don't even talk to that person. And that's just not fair. That's not, that's not reasonable that you don't even have the discussion. So then there's assumptions made and, and we're scared of confrontation. In reality, we disagree with them. So we're mad at them, but we haven't talked to them. So then we see them. And sometimes we pretend like everything's okay. Oh, I cannot believe they said that on social media. Hey, oh, it's so good to see you. A cute outfit. Yeah, it's great. She is so dumb, I cannot believe her. Look, you're, the word doesn't say that you have to agree with everyone. What it says is as far as it depends on you, keep the bond of peace and the unity of the spirit. So you can't be responsible for how they're gonna respond to everything. You are responsible to do everything you can to be at peace with someone. That's your job. That's our role. Psalm 133.1 says, How good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity. Also dislikes. Sometimes we have preferences. But it is crazy how sometimes we think that others need to love what we love. And if they don't, they're messed up. But maybe you just don't like somebody. But maybe it's because of insecurity or pride anger. Maybe they've just always rubbed you the wrong way. Colossians 3.12 says this, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as, everybody say as, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule over your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. So how do we fight for unity? First of all, you gotta fight for unity by having one enemy. One enemy. Philippians 1.27 says this, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Okay, so if you're conducting yourselves as citizens of heaven, you understand that our king, our ruler is God. And if you understand that everything that we do is for God, you have to also understand that there is then only one ultimate enemy, and that is the devil. That, that, he's our enemy. When you're a citizen of heaven, you understand that he's the enemy. So that friend that betrayed you, nope, they're not the enemy. Your spouse, not the enemy. Your ex, not the enemy. That political party or politician, not your enemy. That coworker, manager, employee, boss, not your enemy. That crumb snatcher brat kid that you're trying to raise, not the enemy. Our enemy is one person, the devil. Ephesians 6, 12 says this, for our struggle is not, everybody say not. It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What if, what if every time there was offense? What if every time you got frustrated? What if every time you got angry 
at somebody, you pump the brakes, slow your roll and stopped and said for just a second, who am I gonna choose to fight with right now? What if you could just remind yourself in a second, like I'm not a citizen of Highway 167. I'm not a citizen of this drive-through experience. I'm not a citizen of this gossip and divisiveness that's happening in this office. I'm not a citizen, I'm a citizen of heaven. So the only fight I need to bring is against the real enemy. People are not your enemy. Don't fight the wrong battles. Ephesians 4, three through six says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to have one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You also gotta have one heart. You're gonna fight for union, you gotta have one heart. Philippians 127 again says, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit. The heart, the why, the values that we have. Philippians 2, one through two says, therefore, if any of you has any encouragement of being uni or united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. You can understand this, that unity does not mean uniformity. Like you don't have to have the same personality to have unity. We don't have to have the same strengths to have unity. We don't have to have the same style to have unity. You don't have to agree to have unity but you have to decide what is essential and what is not essential. Another way to say this is what is a heaven or hell issue and what is really just an issue of interpretation? So this happens in church world in theology. Almost every denominational thinking is established in two basic lines of thinking. Instead of trying to break all of it down, I'll tell you a story that kind of helps illustrate what we believe is the church. Joe Christian, he gets saved. And it's great because his name didn't used to be Joe Christian. He was a rough dude, but he had this encounter with God and it seemed to be very genuine and very real. Maybe it was at a camp or a concert or something like that, but he gets saved. He's very passionate. He starts praying, he starts reading the Bible. Things are going really great. He doesn't really get plugged into community. He doesn't get plugged into fellowship, but he's passionate about the things of God. But then people that know Joe start noticing Joe is not doing that great. He's hanging out around the rough crowd. Maybe the old crowd used to hang out around. He's partying. He's posting pictures on Instagram of him partying. He's not in a good place. He's not doing well. Well, one camp would say, well, clearly, Joe never actually got saved because if Joe actually got saved, he wouldn't be acting the way he's acting. Okay, that's what one camp would say. The other camp would say, no, Joe did actually get saved, but if Joe keeps acting the way he's acting, he's gonna lose 
his salvation. And those are the two primary lines of thinking in almost every denomination. You know what our stance is? Let's call Joe. It's not our job to judge Joe's motives. It's our job to love Joe back into the body of Christ. Only God knows Joe's heart. Only God knows if he's saved or not saved. He's the only one that knows that. You're gonna be really surprised when you get to heaven at two things. You're gonna be really surprised with who is there and who isn't there because you can't judge the motives of a person's heart. It's our job to love Joe. Let's call Joe. But you gotta decide what your essentials and non-essentials are. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Major on the majors, but you got a minor on the minors. And don't let minor differences become major dilemmas. Acts 4.32 says this, all believers were one in heart and mind. We have to display our unified heart to the world around us. Otherwise, Jesus said, they will know you because of your love for each other. If we really care about a lost and dying world around us, and we need to be very intentional about our heart, demonstrating that we love each other first. This is one of the reasons why we pray for other churches. Because we're very interested in not just saying that we love other churches, but that we demonstrate that we truly care. We believe in the body of Christ. We believe in the power of it when it works together. The best way that you can show one heart in our church is to be committed. It's called membership. Membership is much more than a letter and it's much more than a title. It's a lifestyle. This is something that you demonstrate. That's why we don't have official membership. We know who our members are because they're showing up and they're serving and they're giving and they're buying into the fact that they need relationship with other people. And so they're in life groups and they're, they show because they're bought into our values and our heart. Those are our members. Look, you can vet a church for a while but eventually you've got to be all in. And if you don't feel like this, that this church is the church you wanna be all in it, that's okay. I know a lot of other churches in our city and community. Let me help you find a place where you can be completely committed and all in. You need to find a church, be a member, serve in your church with your gifts, with your talents, love people in your church, be a friend, in your church to somebody, give in your church, be engaged in your church, meet new people, encourage others, get in a life group, get in a Sunday school. It'll be very difficult for us to be unified as a church, much less the body of Christ, if all we ever do is just consume and never contribute. One heart, unity all of us showing, hey, I'm in, I'm in. Next week, we're gonna have our Connect class. A lot of people ask us, how do I become a member around here? Well, a great first step is to come to Connect because that's where we talk about more of our heart, more of our vision, opportunities that people have to be a part of that heart, those values, that vision. 
So if you're wondering, like, how do I become a member? Connect class is the best way for you to start that process. And then from there, we'll do everything we can to help you get connected to the heart of our church. We also have to have one purpose. Philippians 1.27, again, it says, I will know that you are steadily, or that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith. This is the purpose part, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. This is our purpose. The purpose of any church, of any family, of any business can easily be forgotten when there's not unity. When there's complaining and griping and backbiting and gossip, those types of things, when those things come, you lose big picture purpose. You forget. This happens in marriage. I know when Cody and I have fought, it's so easy when we fight, we forget the big picture purpose. And that purpose is we believed and we stood before God and made a covenant that we believed with all of our heart that we were better together for his kingdom than not together. And that God wanted to use us as a marriage to bring him glory. To bring him glory through the kids that we would raise, through the purpose that we would serve, through our calling. But you can forget that when you're fighting. When you're fighting, you forget purpose. But the truth is this, most fights are always over petty stuff. It's always over just really pretty dumb stuff. If we're being totally honest. I've told you about the first major fight that Cody and I had. It was knock down, drag out. It was bad. Yelling, screaming. She is a really good debater. Really good. She could be a lawyer. I'm convinced. But we're fighting and she's like, you need to leave. And I'm like, I ain't going nowhere. We're going to hash this out. She's like, fine, then I'll leave. And she walks out the door and she gets in her car. So I walk outside and I stand right in front of her little lipstick red escort that she had at that time. And I said, get out of the car. She's like, you need to get out of the way. I'm going to run you over. I said, if you leave this parking lot, if you leave this driveway in that car, I will call the cops and report this car stolen. I promise you this will happen. And I meant it. Oh, I had it. I had it dialed up on my phone. That old Nakia phone. So she got out. We went in. We hashed it out. And then we made out. I mean, made up. First year of marriage, you know how it goes. But most fights are trivial. You ever fought with your spouse before somebody was coming over to your house? Like right before they come over? Like they're ringing the doorbell and you're still like, yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Hey. So good to see you. Come on in. Cody and I, we, we fought sometimes on Saturday night. But I'll tell you, those fights get resolved pretty quick because I got to be a man of God the next morning. <laughs> but I think that is a good point. Purpose will motivate you to make peace and swallow your pride but you got to remember your purpose. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that in all you agree with one another in what you say and that, it be no, and that there be no divisions among you, that you may be perfectly united 
in mind and thought. And then the final moments before Jesus was arrested as he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's so interesting because the primary thing that he was praying about was for us. And more specifically, he was praying about unity. Our unity. Not just this church, the church, the body of Christ. Like out of everything that he could have been thinking about and praying about, like this was one of the most important things. Nothing is more valuable on this planet to God than his church, than the body of Christ. He paid a high price for it. He wants it to be protected. He, he wants it to not be devastated and damaged by division. But I think it starts with individual decisions of how we fight for unity. But I want us to look at this prayer. In John 17, 20, it says, my prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about his disciples, but I pray for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've met so many people who said, you know, I wanna believe in God and I wanna have a relationship with him. And the truth is I wanted to be a Christian until I met a Christian because we just don't do a good job all the time with displaying his love, showing that we're in him. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and I have loved them even as you have loved me. Look at all that comparison between the love of the father towards his son and then that being the same love that we're supposed to have for each other, the unity. Look, we always want Jesus to answer our prayers. What if we could answer his prayer? What if we just said first, hey, this is pretty heavy on your heart, Jesus. I think I can be a part of the answer to this prayer. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Some of you, you have disunity with God right now. Your disunity with God is honestly, it's gonna cause a lot of division in your heart, in your mind. It'll probably manifest itself in relationships. It may already be manifesting itself in relationships. If you find yourself in a very insecure and fearful place, if you find yourself struggling with sin and addiction and things that you just, you've never been able to overcome, it may have to do with your identity. It probably has to do with you walking through an identity crisis. An identity crisis happens when you don't know who you are in Christ. That's the same if you've been a believer for a while. You can drift away. You can 
forget your identity in Christ, but it certainly applies to someone that has never had their identity in Christ. You have to know that Jesus came to provide unity, to make you and God one. And you're one prayer away from the peace of God. You're one prayer, one decision away from the assurance of eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, the restoration of your soul. And I wanna give you an opportunity to make that decision, to say that prayer. If you're here today and you know you're away from God, maybe you need to come back to him. I believe that God's already speaking to your heart. You feel this division between you and him, this void, a chasm. I want you to know he is ready and waiting and wanting to be unified with you. The only way that can happen is for you to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus paid the price on the cross for your sin. And then it means that you've got to surrender to him as Lord and you've got to, You've got to repent. You've got to turn away from where you've been and go towards him. And if you're in that place this morning and you know that you're in that place, I'd like to pray with you. And as, as a symbol of your surrender to this, as a symbol of you just admitting that you need him and you're away from him, nobody looking around, I'm just going to ask you to be bold and put your hand up right now. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Thank you. Thank you. Got it, guys. Thank you so much. Anybody else? I'm willing to admit it. Got it. Anybody else? Okay. So great. I want you to know there's several hands going up, but even if you were the only person raising your hand, Jesus did what he did just for you. He loves you. He wants to have relationship with you desperately. If you raise your hand, just talk to him. You can say this prayer loud enough for your own ears to hear it. You can say it in your heart, but you need, to, you need to confess to someone. You need to tell somebody that you made this decision. The greatest way that you can go public with your faith in Jesus is through water baptism. We have that opportunity at the end of our third service, and you can still do that. Even if you didn't sign up, you could still get baptized today if that's how the Lord's leading you. But let's just talk to him and say, God, here's my life. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I can't save myself. I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. I thank you, Jesus, that you didn't stay dead. You rose from the grave. You defeated my sin. You defeated death. You rose again. But you didn't just leave me in that place, but you also gave me a purpose. And I pray that you'd help me to understand my purpose in you, my calling in you. Would you speak to me? Would you speak to me through your word, through the Bible? Would you direct me? by the leading of your Holy Spirit as I spend time with you every day. And would you, would you help me to find community with people that believe what I now believe? I thank you for unifying me with you through your son, Jesus. And I pray that you help me to be a facilitator of unity in everything that I do for the kingdom of God and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We had four people raise their hand to give their life to Jesus. Come on, let's praise them in this place.